Welcome to the Matthew Moran Podcast. Here you will find a series of in-depth conversations with the world's best nature photographers, filmmakers, conservationists, editors, writers, and publishers. You will get an insight into the lives of creative professionals and industry experts. It is a chance to hear their stories, personal journeys, and how they carve a niche to make a living. The podcast focuses on the role that photography and filmmaking plays in helping to raise awareness about the global plight of species. And despite the depressing statistics, we look for solutions of what we can all do to contribute to conservation. All my guests give up their precious time and are incredibly generous in spirit. So this is my chance to share these conversations with you. So sit back, relax, and enjoy. This week, my guest is Sandra Bartocha. Sandra is a multi-award-winning nature photographer, multimedia presenter, bookmaker, and self-proclaimed lover of light. From early on in her career, Sandra wanted to do things differently. Deeply inspired by Jim Brandenburg, she moved away from the formulaic methods of pin-sharp, hallelujah-like landscape photography to focus on capturing the mood of a place and to evoke an emotional response. Her style is certainly unique and has brought her great success over the years in many of the top nature photography competitions. She was a contributing photographer on the Wild Wonders of Europe initiative and was also commissioned to photograph a 20th anniversary edition book from Muritz National Park in northern Germany. In this second interview during the COVID lockdown, I caught up with Sandra in her hometown in northern Germany to talk about her approach to photography, how she avoids being pigeonholed and the challenge to continue to create beautiful and innovative work. If you enjoyed this interview, please share it with your friends and family leave a review on iTunes, or on a host of other platforms, including Stitcher, Acast, Google Play, and more. That's enough from me. Enjoy the show. Sandra, thank you so much for taking the time to be on the podcast. And you know, before the pandemic, it used to be really precious about only doing interviews face-to-face and wanted to be truly authentic. But you know, my hand has been forced and maybe for the better. It's going to open up a whole new world of opportunities and guests and possibilities, even though it's more time in front of a computer, but could well do without. But this is really exciting. And but I wanted to get you on the podcast for a, a long time and been following your work for years and really excited to have you here. Um, yeah, I just wanted to find out how you've been doing during the uncertain times and what have you been up to? Uh, so thank you <laughs> first for the invitation. I'm um, a avid listener of your podcast and a big fan. Um, uh, so I'm, I'm more than happy to be one of your guests today. Um, and um, for your question, actually, I've been great. <laughs> I'm like, of course, there's different uh, perspectives on this, but um, in general, uh, this time has served me great because many of us have probably fallen back into kind of um, not able to do the normal rush. And um, so I think for, 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 from my perspective, I had the most time um, I've ever had in the past years. So <laughs> I finally did some photography again. And in Germany, we had a quite soft lockdown. So 
Um, I'm I'm always comparing it uh, that I mean like because people of course are even complaining about what we had, but we were allowed to do anything except for meeting people. So um, as a nature photographer, it's quite easy to not meet people and um, to just venture out. And um, so we could go and I could go whenever and wherever I wanted to go. And especially in the county where I'm originating, um, uh, we didn't allow even other counties from Germany to to um, visit. So that was great because all the huge tourist attraction at the sea were completely empty and uh, the, the beaches were empty and uh, all the places. And actually nature and wildlife were great. Um, and um, I mean, like, of course, you won't wish for economical reasons that it stays like that uh, because, of course, people need to live from something here. But um, from a perspective of just enjoying the outside and nature, it was a brilliant time. <laughs> that is superb. And you've always done work close to home. You know, you've traveled, of course, and we're going to talk about your book a little bit later in the north in Scandinavia. But you live quite close to a big lake where you've been doing a lot of photography. Is that right? Yeah, it, it's right. Um, at, uh, to the Lensesee and to the Müritz and um, the Baltic Sea is not far away. So, I mean, like you're exactly right. My work has always been, um, yeah, circling around regional topics. And Luz was a completely uh, different experience for me. Um, uh, so now it's a little bit like going back to the roots and I enjoyed it more than ever. I mean, like really having so much time and um, and really deliberately taking the time to um, even rediscovering the area I grew up and um, rediscovering more more places. Because I mean, like um, nothing is ever the same. I mean, it's not only that landscape is changing. Of course, landscape is changing, forests are changing, but the seasons and 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 the time of the day and and of course me as a photographer i have improved over the years or sharpened my my uh, vision in other directions so i mean like it, it will never i mean like get I, I will never get tired of anything that's around here and it's such a big lesson and i think even before the pandemic you know something comes out quite regularly from these podcasts is the importance of access and knowing the location really well known the environment really well at the back of your hand there's no secret this is how this is how photographers end up getting the best work is having access and not putting up too many barriers like flying lots and going to places that are really hard to reach you know the risk of sounding like a broken record it's so important to do stuff close to home and i like what you said about sharpening up i really feel that with photography you really have to practice a lot to keep getting better at and you get more and more critical about your work so it sounds like it's been a really great time for you and can we expect to see a, a whole new portfolio of work from this lockdown period did you set yourself tasks or did you just go out and shoot i mean like i i have a um 
ever running <laughs> task actually that I already started before uh, I went with a project about Scandinavia, and I've never finished that. And uh, so my 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 idea was actually to 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 make a book um, uh, just before, uh, but I never managed because I'm a perfectionist, and sometimes it will never finish because I'm 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 just working on it, and I'm still working on it. But I, but I have so many new ideas and. Uh, and, and and not only new ideas, but uh, uh, like like now it's not only one book, but maybe four, and and maybe <laughs> I mean like it, it's just too much sometimes, so that I will never be able to finish anything. <laughs> but I mean, it, it's not just random photography, that's for sure. Uh, but um, I, I I cannot promise anything anything very clear. Sure. Well, you've done this huge book on Scandinavia, it's four years in the making, and I've published books too, and similar length of time to produce them. And when you have the idea of doing four or five more books, can become a lifetime's worth of work. Yeah, it's more like a series. I mean, like what I'm, I'm really a little bit tired about, and this is not only me um, uh, or my own experience, but this is something that I see from other people too. I mean, like it's not that I that I'm fond of the way of, um, I mean, like I, I like working on projects um, be because it gives you focus. Um, so um, a focus is always important to create some outstanding work. I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm a strong believer in that. But on the other hand, I'm a little bit tired of, of this typical, I mean, like I, I remember that when I finished Luz and I think when the first presentation after, after the premiere uh, kind of uh, in 2016, it's already four years ago, but the first question was, so what's your next project? And I thought, what the fuck? <laughs> I'm, so, I'm sorry. But I'm like, you know, this is, I'm like, I just finished this. I'm like, I've been working for four years on this and one year of production. What do you want? I'm like, I'm, I mean, like, uh, of course, there are photographers who have thousands of ideas for projects and, and, and animals. They want to capture the behavior or whatever. So, but um, I think my whole life is a project. Um, so, I mean, my photography is not so project related in general. Um, it's not that I, I'm, oh, now I'm finished with uh, Scandinavia. Now I'm going to, um, to Spain and do the same, you know, I mean, like in this way, I mean, like, I just want, don't want to keep doing four years of project and then having one year of uh, bookmaking and everything. And then having three years, I mean, like we have three years of uh, a marketing uh, phase behind us. And uh, so I mean, like for me, it's much more important to find a balance where I can do projects or little projects or just like my my like directed photography uh, in, in direction from from an artistic standpoint, but also from a um, financial standpoint. And this is um, for me hard enough because I think that the artistic standpoint is very often um, kind of challenged by by the thinking of an agency or um, like images that sell. Um, so I think it's hard enough to concentrate um, on projects or on, on an artistic um, expression um, in a general uh, uh, life. I'm so glad you mentioned that. And actually that's something that I wanted to talk about. And something that comes up regularly is this, this, this idea of how to make a living from being a nature photographer. I myself, especially during this lockdown, has really struggled. I run workshops, I do speaking events, all of which were, were cancelled, of course. 
And yeah, I'm not the only one, but you really start wrestling with this idea of what am I doing? Am I trying to get commissions? Am I trying to sell prints? Am I trying to make books? It's really easy to lose sight of being creative and doing work that has art and has meaning when you're constantly thinking about how am I going to pay my bills? And I ask all the photographers on this podcast how they do make a living and how they find that balance between doing personal projects and doing paid projects and commissions and making prints and how do you find the time to work on all the different elements to make sure you're satisfied financially and creatively i mean i must say that uh i'm mean, like first of all my, my most important for me was always that i'm diversifying um that i'm having at li uh, as little as over as possible um so I mean, like, I, I really don't want to be in a situation where I'm having a big lifestyle and uh, cannot pay any of my bills. So um, that's the reason why I always kept it very low. Um, and the diversify, of course, I mean, like Corona hit a lot of workshop people because they were completely killed uh, immediately and um, they're just starting now again. Um I mean, like, I can't say that I, Corona has done me well because I have no income right now. And um, in, in, in opposite to many others who have tried to uh, digitalize <laughs> their offers, um, you know, for me, I mean, like, I've speaking, spoken to uh, Theo Bosbom very shortly about a... Uh, like a corona print sale and i mean like we exchanged some ideas and messages and you know after two three days we just came to a conclusion that my god this is a lot of uh, um, engagement again and uh, it's almost a little bit embarrassing to use the situation for this so of course as a photographer i mean like um you have to have a little bit of um uh, uh, like money in order to survive <laughs> um, uh, a certain time of uh, like when you maybe not have an income and that's the way it is right now and I just hope that uh, certain things pick up again um, I'm actually really honestly I'm actually not doing anything in order to um, to change the situation right now I, I just hope and maybe this is because I've never been really proactive um, in acquisition of jobs they have always been there I mean like people invited me people have uh, been um, <laughs> like asking me to do these things and especially because I'm having such a diverse income I'm I'm very seldom doing workshops very special workshops about bookmaking or uh, like larger projects um, and uh, um, some of those are cancelled because of uh, two less participants, uh, because there is a fear of people having in a seminar room. So people have have a fear of staying together with people even now. And um, so uh, I, I really don't know. I mean, like maybe in August, I have to really start thinking about something to change the situation. Um, but right now, I'm still enjoying the like post-corona kind of uh, economical situation and in general um it's like especially speaking from a from a photographic standpoint for me it's sometimes really difficult to see what is more important like when i'm speaking about artistic expression if i'm concentrating purely on this because i'm invited as a speaker because of my artistic uh, uh, expression not because of my calendar images um and 
um, sometimes when I'm in the field, I'm completely a kind of, I, I can't even explain it. it it's, it's more like that I'm, I'm having this sort of, I have to produce this classic shot now because I can uh, sell this to a calendar agency or uh, to, to give it to, to NPL or, I mean, like, of course, images are at NPL, but I'm like, it's not as much money that it uh, kind of um, is the excuse for me not concentrating on my artistic vision. And sometimes my artistic vision is completely clouded by these thoughts, which is totally stupid. Of course, I sell to calendars, postcards and uh, everything. But the other thing is so much more important. And uh, I really have to concentrate on saying, now I really have to take care, not taking the standard shots, but making my mind free for um, from my vision. But in most of the cases, I must say, uh, I mean, like, like for Luz, we did know that From the beginning, it was a concentration on our expression and there were never any economical thoughts behind it. So that was very, um, that, that was very good uh, in terms of your own concentration in the field. Um, and right now I have the feeling that I'm always trying to balance this a little bit because if the situation is very obvious, then I take the classic shot and then... Uh, after taking the classic shot, I'm starting to delve more into my own, um, into my own stuff. You know, that's not that's not easy to sell. <laughs> not easy, like almost not possible to sell at all. Um, <laughs> that's so funny. It really sounds like you have to wear these two different hats when you're in the field, switching from one to the other. Is it's not so easy. You know, we mentioned this three times already. And we shouldn't assume everybody knows about it. And it's been four years since you published this book, but maybe you could tell the listeners very briefly about this project. And we can certainly put some links into your page on the podcast section about this book and and let people know about it and possibly buy it if it's still available. Yes, it is. Uh, we just reprinted last year. Um, so uh, I mean, like, it, 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 it originated in an idea um, that uh, Werner Bollmann, a good friend of me, had uh, in 2011, um, and it actually based on the idea that I was photographing very much regional, and people were kind of reducing me to the flower photographer and uh, the one that is just doing this um, like uh, regional stuff. And uh, the idea was really to to gain more. Um, I'm like, of course, I love Scandinavia. I've been hiking there a lot. And the idea was still to say, hey, come on, you know, take me serious because I'm able to um, stand minus 40 degrees and hard um, winds as well. So I'm like, that was just a little bit a funny idea. But um, the idea was nevertheless to have a project um, working on it three, four years um, and cover the whole North uh, on an emotional um, level, uh, like in a very intimate view on it. Uh, no no hotspots, no, uh, no famous beaches, no famous uh, animals or something, but just to characterize uh, the essential spirit of the North uh, and uh, that from the south of Denmark up to Svalbard. And we've been working four years in the field and have been producing a book uh, during all these travels um, um, because we never wanted to come home uh, after four years and just spread all our images on the floor and say, oh, we missed something. Um, 
so I mean, like we really, uh, I mean, like the, the, the book actually um, brought us forward in the field because sometimes we we designed some pages and so oh we need this kind of images as a story link or as a link to to this chapter and um, let's find this kind of images and this resulted. In so you were designing the books as you went along. You were able to see where the gaps were. Yes, absolutely. I mean, like we really, um, we 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 started immediately on our first um, travel to design the book, and um, of course we didn't do it chronological. So all our travels were, I'm like, you know, sometimes we were in February in the north, and then uh, again worked on the forest chapter, and then again the next year went again to the to the to the far north or to the to the coast, and. So it developed on different levels. So we never started one chapter and finished this at once. Um, but for example, um, I, I remember that the forest chapter was kind of ready, but we missed an opener because it started with a with a double spread with two small images of details of the forest, and that was very beautiful. But it it didn't serve as an opener for such a big chapter as a as a tiger forest in Scandinavia, and. And then we were photographing two weeks only forests, like uh, from morning to evening, to find this one picture that served as an opener. So, were you were you making these editorial decisions yourself, or did you enlist the help of an editor? Um, uh, in that case, uh, um, we didn't use an editor. Um, I mean, like maybe it's hubris, uh, but <laughs> I'm like, I think that Werner and me, we were quite good in challenging each other. I'm mean, like, uh, I think I myself would have always uh, asked for help, and uh, if not an editor, then for sure friends that I'm relying on uh, in in perspective. Um, but uh, what was really important that Werner and me, we discussed many many times uh, um, all the chapters and I always say we had four years of editing um, and not only in finding new images for for a, a chapter or something but I mean like so many double spreads have been in and then out the next uh, the, the, on the next um, uh, yeah travel um, because uh, after three months it had lost his fascination you know I mean like it really had time to grow and really time to set and we showed it in progress to many many of our highly valued friends and um, I, I I'm like for me it was very valuable to hear very different opinions about this I mean like it's not that we took into account every opinion but I think that the whole set of opinions gave us a very good feedback uh, how to proceed and maybe what to be even more sure of um, so uh, for, for me the process was perfect and but I know that not every project can have such a long <laughs> editing phase um, but in most of the times honestly I think that uh, um, many many books uh, when speaking uh, of books of photographers I think many of the books are um, not uh, well thought of um, they try to uh, um, put in too much and, and too many different things and uh, one thing that we wanted to make sure uh, that we don't have any repetition that we don't have redundancy um, that everything that is in there serves uh, a reason in a way um, and, and that we don't fall into this trap of just adding something because we think it's so beautiful. You know, we have done many beautiful pictures that aren't in the book. 
just because it didn't serve the story or the the, the, the flow uh, or anything. And I think that the risk of many photographers that are too attached to their images is to um, to to put too much in, like and just and, and I think that people, if they are um, uh, like flipping through a book. Um, they get tired because you just have beautiful, 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 and 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 um, don't get changes of rhythm and don't get changes of uh, emotion, and uh, you are just filled up like if you ate too much candy in a way. <laughs> I think that's such an important message for anyone making a book. You know, it sounds like you're also an editor, and it's it's a really valuable skill. You know, not all photographers are the are the best editors of their own work. Yeah. But the more ruthless you are with your selection, you know, the stronger your end product is going to be. And I like that you said that you know when you set out with this book with Werner, you were having conversations from the very beginning and scrutinizing every decision. And obviously, you have to be happy at, at the end of the day. So there's 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 no room for filler. You know, every image has to serve a purpose. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and I really enjoyed the process of being still in the field while knowing that we are missing something. <laughs> um, because otherwise, it's just filled up with something. <laughs> so you've done a reprint. That's exciting. So how many did you print in the first run? Um, we did uh, print 2,000 in the first run. And... Um, I mean, like we were, I mean, like a little bit overwhelmed because we are both not marketing professionals. So, I mean, like, of course, in all, I mean, like if you travel Scandinavia, you have quite a long time uh, uh, that you are sitting in cars. And I know that I filled uh, thousands of lists with things that we wanted to do uh, when we, when the book is out and, and, and whom we wanted to contact. But we are really not, not brilliant marketers so i mean like the the the, the campaign the pre-starting campaign was already a lot of work for us and then when the book came out i mean like i spent just weeks in the basement and sending out books and i know that people were saying to me why didn't you take a student but then i'm a perfectionist again and many of the people who order a book uh, know you and know me and and i know them and uh, you know adding a personal message or uh, an, a, a personal postcard because i know the person and i know that this person like that or this and you know i mean like they were all handled um, very gently by me and um... i really understand that and of course to be in, involved at every stage to processing the images, to editing, to the designing. And, you know, of course you want to select the packaging, all the details, where you're going to place the label, are you going to do it by hand? It can be a bit of a problem being a perfectionist. I had a, you know, a similar issue, but I also had my mum helping me out when I was shipping all my Hampstead Heath books. <laughs> you know, people think, oh, you should be doing something more important, but this is important. Every little detail really is important. Those special notes and you know, open up a book that's beautifully packaged the way you want. And you're the best person and best place to do that. But sometimes, yeah, it can take up too much time. I mean, of course, I mean, like when people ask me if self-publishing worth it, and I always say, of course, if you sell, I mean, like we have sold 2000 books and we've reprinted, but we've only reprinted 500 uh, because we had exhibitions coming up and we didn't have any books anymore. So we had to reprint in order to, to be able to sell books during these uh, exhibitions. Um, uh, and and in the end, of course, you have to be clear about it. We had three years or almost four years in the field, but I can honestly say that I had three years uh, 
in the in the office as well. I mean, like in the office, preparing exhibitions, uh, like uh, sending out these books. And even if, if it calms down, I mean, like in the first weeks, you send out a lot of books until you fulfilled all your orders. Uh, but then, of course, then there's Christmas and a, a new book coming. And then uh, you have an exhibition. And during the exhibition, I, I remember that um, uh, like it was already two years after the premiere, uh, like in 2018, and we had a big exhibition in the north of Germany. And that exhibition was very well um, uh, like uh, uh, received by the by the press as well. So we had some um, uh, TV footage and so on. And like I was driving home from the opening and having a lot of uh, like tons of orders of books uh, of people who have so seen it in the TV. And, you know, I, I was, I was just rushing back from the exhibition opening in order to fulfill the, uh, the orders. So, I mean, there are times involved in self-publishing and you know that, which are so busy that you almost can't breathe. So there's definitely a downtime or a downside to self-publishing, uh, especially when you are a perfectionist and especially uh, when you are somebody um, uh, 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 like me who wants to control the whole process. Um, but then on the other hand, I mean, like, uh, except for the first few weeks where you had regular, uh, uh, like, uh, fulfillment, uh, you can't plan for anybody else to do it because if you get three, four orders a week, I mean, like you can't you can't employ somebody for for that. <laughs> of course, yeah, you have to be the master of all jobs. It's it's brilliant. But I wanted to just briefly jump back because I'm really interested in this, and I'm sure the listeners are as well. And you know, I know you became you know really well known as this plant photographer, and I know it became your Achilles' heel. And we can talk a little bit more about this. But you know, I wondered how you got into photography in the first place and who were your influences and and mentors and maybe you still have mentors right now but it'd be good to find out a little bit about the early days and how you got into photography yeah i think uh, i mean like for me photography was always apparent because my dad was a photographer at the newspaper um and uh, we grew up in East Germany and he was um, like really a photojournalist uh, for the ADN Zentralbild, like for the kind of um, news agency in, uh, in East Germany. And he picked me up from kindergarten quite often to take him, uh, take me with him on assignments. And um, I knew this is cool. You know, I liked um, uh, this traveling and I liked uh, uh, being out uh, in the field with him uh, and, and doing these assignments in complete opposite to my mom's job, but, uh, which was an office job. So, um, But I mean, like it's probably still not for everybody because my brother is not interested in photography at all. So <laughs> there has to be something inside that uh, uh, I catched uh, by my dad that, um so that that was an influence, but my dad is clearly a photographer who's focusing on uh, human nature and um, uh, on, on on people and and portraits and so on. And I was always more interested in nature. Uh, I was a scout, and um, I've been spending a lot of time. I grew up in a village, so I sp I spent a lot of time in forests and fields and and lakes and so on. And um, uh, so I, I joined a local photo club quite early and um, here in the region like where I grew up in, in Neubrandenburg uh, there's a lot of very good nature photographers Claudia Müller who, um, uh, who, who who was part of the Wild Wonders of Europe um, uh, project as well um, 
she was kind of my mentor at that time. I'm like, because she and, 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 and um, her boyfriend, um, they photographed landscapes and, 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 and nature photography. And um, they definitely served uh, as a mentor for me in the beginning for nature photography. They explained me everything about filters and lenses and uh, whatever, but, but, uh, um, inspirational photography as well um at that time they were traveling uh, a lot in america and made these like really these classic landscapes that no now everybody's so tired of but at that time it was very inspiring and i remember when i was 18 um i went uh, to america as an au pair and spent one year in minnesota yeah. At a German host family, which was quite unsuccessful for my um, for my English, but um, <laughs> I was at that time so bad in English that I was totally happy that I could just regularly speak with them. But <laughs> it really didn't help. I, I think I only spoke English to the nanny and to the uh, cleaning lady. Um, and uh, but it was interesting because they gave me Jim Brandenburg's Ninety Day Journey: uh, Chased by the Light uh, as a birthday present. And uh, from then, I was completely hooked. I mean, <laughs> um, his way of uh, like emotion in photography touched me really deeply already uh, at that time with 18 years. And, you know, I was an avid reader of outdoor photography and how to use the best tripod and lens and so on. And Jim Brandenburg gave me a completely different perspective on photography. And especially with that book of saying, it's not about every single beautiful image. It's about the whole story and it's about the whole movement and it's about this, the whole emotion um, that is involved. And yeah, I mean, like since then, I'm probably the biggest uh, Jim Brandenburg fan on the world. And um, <laughs> I don't know, I mean, I, I really, I admire him and his work greatly. And um, so he's definitely my 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 huge inspiration. And And from there, of course, I can name a number of photographers whom i'm constantly inspired of yeah did you did you ever meet jim brandenburg well oh yes oh yes he he, he even bought lus <laughs> yes that's the ultimate compliment yeah unfortunately i should have given it to him <laughs> sandra that makes you a terrible businesswoman you know that means you're buying books for your audience yes that's, that's true no, but I met him uh, quite often because in Germany he received the um, Fritz Steininger Prize at the GDT and uh, he had several presentations already at our festival. So, I mean, I really enjoy his uh, his presentations and his deeply emotional uh, uh, talks. So, um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm a big fan. That's so good. And it sounded like he really touched you with his photographs and, and his words and that. Uh, whole idea of finding a style and known for a certain style and I think it's a wonderful thing and you know of course I look at photographers a lot most days unfortunately Instagram seems to be you know the best place for accessing work very very quickly and it can be a bit of a problem it's the platform of choice even though it's it, it's not the best way of viewing photography but this is the platform that so many photographers are, are using and you can really still really see styles evolving and changing but you can became renowned early on for shooting you know plants in a really specific way and in, in a beautiful style and had great success with it and i know from you know reading interviews and briefly talking with you earlier it became a bit of a problem for you because you became known for having all of the success in competitions such as the wildlife photographer of the year and and you've wanted to change and and move away from this and how have you found it and of course i'm sure you don't 
begrudge having great success, but it's a shame when you're really pigeonholed in a certain style of photography. Yeah, I mean, like it, it's especially funny when you uh, enter competitions and uh, uh, then the organizers say, oh, you know, I mean, like there are so many plant images like yours. Um, it, it's so tiring. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> really, it should be the ultimate compliment, but really it's, well, it's, it's like imitation is the sincerest form of flattery, I think is the saying. But then it can also become a bit of a problem as well. Yeah, or they say there was nothing good in plants and you think, oh, I've submitted 15 plants, so thank you. <laughs> so, I mean, no, I mean, like, honestly, I mean, I've, I've never been uh, um, searching for a style and, and never even searching for a certain topic that I'm that, that is my niche uh, um, uh, in a way. Or you say niche or something? Well, yeah, we um, say niche. Americans say ah, niche. Okay. Oh, okay. I like niche. I like niche much more. Um so, um, uh, so, so I've never been searching for it. I remember that I was still in the very beginning uh, um, when I, it was shortly after Wild Runners of Europe happened and uh, Rosamund Kidman Cox sent me an email with an invitation to speak at Wild Photos at that time. And she, she proposed to me, like in this in invitation, that I'm like speaking about plant photography because this is, uh, seems to be my speciality and and i thought oh my god is it really like that <laughs> i mean like it was almost like she was the first one hitting me with a uh, with a stone on the head and saying you are known for that you know i didn't know that and and i've i've, I've not not been looking for that and in this respect i must say it wasn't it wasn't so hard or not even active procedure uh, to move away um Luz was more, I mean, like, we wanted to do a project and if you start one, you just do it right and you just take all your effort and and, and um, your vision into that and, and developing this. But, of course, uh, it was not not purely the idea of moving away from something. We just wanted to do this. And I'm, 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 I'm still shooting plans occasionally. It's just that you yourself get tired. And I think that's the reason from the beginning I'm always saying that I, I I think I've never been really photographing completely in a classic way. I've always started to to bring my own um, my own uh, uh, yeah feeling into it, and not only because of Jim Brandenburg, but because I was so tired of many photography um, or of many uh, photography. First, uh, that I saw in exhibitions, like in a local um, environment, because they were just shooting just random stuff and um, uh, invited to an exhibition opening, and you just go and see all this boring stuff. Yeah, I'm like, and 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 this always triggered me to to go forward. And I think if you develop as a photographer, you develop quite naturally into a direction uh, that you might haven't been expecting. Um, so it was never. Uh, actually moving away on purpose if somebody asked me to do some flower shots i will probably be able to easily provide them with that um it, it just that it's not not my major interest anymore yeah um, i understand that it's you know so you you made a conscious decision not to what well, to go against the grain it was sounded like it was really authentic and it was like you were photographing with feeling and passion rather than trying to be different 
Yeah, and, and I think this is what uh, what's uh, the problem with many. I mean, like many people are just following, and this is the reason why I usually don't go workshops because I'm so tired by people who are just wanting to repeat what others have done. And uh, you know, I mean, like I'm happily uh, 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 assisting people in learning how to photograph, uh, like uh, how to use their camera in order to express their vision or to express their vision. Um, but I'm I'm not able to to put my own opinions on other people and I have more and more problems with this because I'm I'm in search, you know, I'm searching. I'm searching for my own expression. I'm searching for uh, my own way of uh, um, dealing with photography and life. And who am I to tell other people how they should do some things? Uh, so this is... Um, yeah, quite important to me that I'm not able to do this or not able, but I don't want to do this. Yeah, that's a really important message and so important to, you know, have influences, which is great. And it's very similar in the music industry. You know, you ask great musicians who, that, who their influences were and you can hear some of that sound in their work, but then they have their own take and their own feel and their own sound, you know, on top of that. And I think it really takes time. You know, we live in an age of instant gratification. You know, when you hear, and I'm not surprised about the journey that you and Werner went on for this, it, it, it takes time and, and it's a real process and it takes a long, long time to find the stories that you want to tell, to express them in the way that you want to do it. It's really not easy to stand out from the crowd, especially in the age of social media. Yeah, but the question is, uh, you spoke about instant gratification, and I think that's part of the problem. Uh, because, of course, in, in, in Instagram format, a classic landscape, I mean, like, I know so many people who are quite successful with kind of reposting a set of 10 images over and over and over again, you know, and, and the crowd just applauds them for this because each of these images might be in a classic way, beautiful and breathtaking, um, but... Uh, but I'm mean, like, this is what comes perfectly um, in, 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 in this Instagram format. You need clear forms, you need uh, strong colors and, and whatever. But images that are very like um, textured or very, um, very detailed or anything, I mean, like they have no chance in that format. And uh, I'm, I must say that, of course, uh, I, I do social media, I do occasional Facebook and I do my occasional um, Instagram upload. And I, I, I like watching stories, um, but actually not so much of nature photographers, but of other <laughs> people. But um, uh, like uh, even even um, if I use this constantly um, when I'm thinking of how and for what I'm producing my work, it's not Instagram. It's Primarily, um, I mean, like books is one part, but I'm always thinking of exhibitions as well. For me, an exhibition, and when I uh, when I remember, um, we have this huge loose exhibition that is still touring, and it is seventy huge images. I mean, like sometimes one meter fifty wide, and and it's joined by. Uh, I mean, like each of the images has a detailed description, uh, and that description is uh, partly biological, but uh, partly uh, em emotional. And then we have text in between, and we have a video uh, wall. And and you know, I think that the experience of watching uh, or like uh, um, uh, going into this exhibition and seeing these huge prints and the textures and everything, it's so different than just scrolling 
and skipping through images online in a very fast pace. And uh, therefore, um, even though the instant gratification sometimes on the social media is very nice, my, my real purpose lies into exhibitions um, and maybe the accompanying book. Um, uh, but, but creating a whole picture, a whole story with an exhibition is, I think, brilliant. I couldn't agree more. I think it's a pure way of people experiencing and also giving presentations, having your images shown on a big screen and you the photographer are talking about these images and it's a really wonderful experience it's certainly my favorite you know for watching photographers work but I was interested in talking about moving away from certain styles and being known for certain styles then I watched an interview you did back in 2018 you were taking some beautiful images of trees one of these multi-layered multi-exposure shots of these trees that are really stunning and how is the project going are you still doing it is there an end game in mind we'd be great if we can put some links up to some of the shots that you've taken so far it'd be really interesting to find out um you know where where the where we can where we can see more of this work because it really stood out for me I, I i loved it a lot i like i i think i started just because and this is uh, what always happens in nature you 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 feel something you see something and you are not able to capture it in a way um and uh um of course uh, i i've been using multi-exposures even back in slide time so that has been something uh, that has been part of my work for a very long time, but I've used it quite differently. I started off with using it uh, as a means of doing different layers of sharpness in flowers and 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 like um, solving technical problems that the camera has in a way um, uh, uh, with this limited field or depth of field, uh, and and then I moved on to using it a more creative, which is quite often used these days. I mean, like multi-exposure has become the new filters in a way. Um, um, but um, I remember that when I when I was, I mean, like I love spring, I love every season, but I mean, of course, uh, after winter, and I love winter, um, but spring is somehow still very special to me. And uh, when all the trees are uh, blooming um, and, and I wasn't able to capture this Kind of feeling and 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 this the situation in a in a single shot. I've been trying so many different ways, and I've never felt anything when looking at these pictures. They were nice, maybe even very nice, but didn't feel uh, right in a way. And then I tried with some multi exposures in different ways, and then. Um, uh, uh, I tried uh, like as many exposures as I could do, ten exposures with my um, Nikon camera and um, you hadn't done this before. I hadn't done this before. I've never. I mean, like, I think I probably have done maximum of three to four exposures at once, and I've never done. I mean, like, I, I know, of course, I did know the work of Freeman Patterson, um, which have. I mean, like, he has been using. I, I don't know, forty exposures or fifty in analog times. Um, but I'm not so technical, you know. I'm like I remember back in the days when you had uh, to do slide film, and already three exposures were quite challenging when you had to calculate the the, um, the 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 time that you had to expose the image. And of course, in digital, it's much easier because a camera does it for you. Um, but I still had never tried this multi, multi, multi exposure thing. And um, so I tried it with with the one tree, and I must say, I think already the second try was 
I, I mean, like, I saw this on the back screen and I thought, wow, <laughs> this is so amazing. <laughs> I mean, like, uh, you know, probably some of these situations when you're completely surprised by what you've tried. And, uh, yeah, because 99% of the time is the other way around. <laughs> True, true. But I mean, like sometimes, I mean, uh, uh, you know, sometimes I hate so much that the camera to, camera is limiting me in what I see because uh, the sensor is just not capable of doing this. But on the other hand, I love how the, how the camera is able to transform things that I would never see with my eyes. And um, and, and, and so using this ability of the camera to add light and, and to combine uh, uh, different things, um, it's it's brilliant. and. Um, I mean, like I've been, I've been just, yeah. I mean, like going on with a series since, and I've been still. I mean, like whenever I see a, a perfect tree <laughs> uh, that is um, uh, perfect for that, I'm I'm still uh, doing that, and um, I'm I'm not having an idea of publishing a book with all these images because I think it's going to be too boring. Um, but I'm 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 using them in my idea that I had so many years. Uh, I think it's 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 more in really. I mean, they belong into my whole oeuvre of images uh, that are taking my emotions to to something that I want to convey to the audience, and um, those will be part of a of a publication. That's for sure. Oh, that's fabulous! I absolutely absolutely love them truly spectacular and you really for me you really get the feel of the tree from from these images so we're going to slowly start to wrap this up i've got a few more questions um so you're the vice president of the gdt right that's the gesellschaft deutsche tierfotografen no not anymore we have renamed ourselves so it's a gesellschaft für naturfotografie so it's really properly named now it's a really the, the german association for nature photography um because uh, like tierfotografen was animal photography and how long have you been doing this since 2007 so it's uh, my life, <laughs> kind of my lifetime. I'm like, I always say, if you are once involved, you'll never be able to to, to step out. <laughs> um, I had a very short break of three years when I was not in the board, but I still was uh, responsible for many uh, organizational things. And, and, um, and then I uh, went back to the board as a vice president. Um, it's, I mean, like the beauty of that job is that you can move something. Um, the down, the, the downside is uh, uh, that you, um, it's it's much easier to develop things for uh, the association um, or for the society than for yourself. So um, I think if you are not involved in voluntary work, and 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 it's a lot of voluntary work, and it takes a lot of energy, and it takes a lot of your ideas and your time and uh, so on so if you're involved in something like that you really can move something on the whole level of nature photography which i find great um but it's uh, you, you should be aware that um you won't have time to develop your own as much and it sounds like you're spending so much time doing it it comes back to that finding that balance between office work and and field time definitely and this time perhaps is not the fairest comparison but you know obviously corona has given you you know, a decent amount of time to photograph, but are you otherwise very disciplined and turning off your computer and going out and photographing as much as you can? 
Uh, actually, not at all. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, it, it, I'm like, of course, everybody has different reasons for it. And and right now, I'm at my parents' place, like my birthplace, uh, in the north of Germany. And I've been here uh, with uh, very few breaks um, since the mid of April. Um, and uh, here, I've always been photographing here. Uh, as soon as I'm back in Potsdam, and I don't want to blame Potsdam, but Potsdam and the surrounding, because it's uh, close to Berlin and it's very inhabited. Uh, um, uh, so um, uh, all the lakes and everything, it's not that there's not nature. I think that uh, Berlin is one of the greenest cities, of course. Um, and, and Potsdam is very green and has a lot of water, but it's not as as wild and pure and, and, and empty as uh, the north of Germany. And uh, I've never been really intensively uh, intensive uh, photographing in, in Potsdam region. I've always been traveling to my parents' place to, to take photos. And, um, of course, if you are busy on deadlines and st constantly uh, doing some things, um, then, then you are uh, in your office. And I, I don't find any end. Um, uh, I... I you know, you work during the day because you think you should do that. Um, but then you are, I'm like, I'm, I'm definitely an old, so I like to work in the nights. <laughs> so you know, usually the whole day is spent with, I have to work, I have to work, I have to work. And then you are uh, uh, getting calls and uh, somebody wants to have this opinion and so on. And then just in the evening when everybody else is uh, just enjoying Netflix or whatever, then I can start to work and uh, uh, probably uh, do something. And I remember I had years, uh, especially with Luz and the preparations and GDT and my magazine or our magazine. Um, when I started the computer at uh, nine in the morning and I turned it off at one or two, so without a lot of, uh, I mean, like with, without much interruption in between. And um, uh, I don't want to have this, so I'm, I'm definitely thinking of moving back north uh, and, and having a better life-work balance in a way of being able to do work during the day, but then go out in the field whenever it's possible. This um, story is really great to hear. And thank you for sharing it honestly, because I myself and many other photographers or people listening to this will suffer with this. Of course, we should be out in the field more. You know, we should be doing this and honing our craft. But there seems to be such a draw to being in the office and writing proposals and doing social media posts and but of course, photography is a craft that needs attention all the time. If I don't pick up my camera for a couple of weeks, you know, you you start to lose familiarity with it. You know, it'd be like if you play guitar and you didn't practice your scales for a few weeks, you'd be rusty. Yes. So, of course, it's really important to continue to photograph all the time. Yeah, and I mean, like, even if your photography of every day is not really serving a purpose or anything it's it's more that you are really staying focused on what's around you and and practicing your craft and i think that's quite important um because the stories develop from that um that you are i mean like i, I remember when i wrote my first how-to book about nature photography i said you you have more chances of doing a great picture if you are doing more and in the end it comes to that if you are doing more you end up with more great stuff. <laughs> so <laughs> I mean, like, of course, I've I've been in the in the past years when I had very very limited time of spending time in the field. I mean, honestly, sometimes it was three four weekends a year that I really intensively spent outside, apart from a few days or evenings. Um, 
but uh, like really focused weekends um, and or, or sometimes a week of travel or something. But um, I, I I perfected the craft of being so on point during that very short amount of time that I came back home with quite a lot of new images <laughs> because I was so focused and so hungry in a way um, of images. And um, right now, but uh, that it's not the case anymore that I am more loose and can just take the time so before we started this podcast we had a brief conversation and I think it'd be important to talk about you know some of the things we mentioned because you know the direction of this podcast has moved much more towards conversations about conservation but I thought it'd be really good to share some of your thoughts and you know I think there's this pressure on nature photographers you know that your your images have to save the world and they have to create campaigns for change and but of course not everybody can do that i remember hearing noam chomsky talk about activism and he said it's something that you can't really dip your toe in you, know, you really have to go for it in full force but not everybody has that burning passion inside them and you know particularly not with their photography so I wondered how you deal with this, with your work, with being a nature photographer, and if you felt any pressure and, you know, for your work to uh, affect, you know, positive environmental change? Yeah, I mean, like, I think it's a typical question, no? I mean, like, there's two typical questions, like, what was the most serious situation you ever had? Yes. Um, and, and then the second is, uh, what do you want to do with your photography? Like, what do you want to change? And, and uh, I think uh, one has to admit if there is not the case, I mean, like, if this is not the case, I think there's way too many nature photographers claiming to be con conversation, conservation photographers uh, these days, just because it's kind of a fashion to do this these days. And um, uh, I always have the feeling that it's uh, an excuse for them to travel to Antarctica to make the 100,000 uh, images of penguins and say, oh, yes, I'm conservation photography because penguins are threatened and uh, and you know, and and I think most of the times it's not it's not true because if you are not campaigning, if you're not really moving something uh, with your images, uh, if you are not using them for change, then you're not a conversation conservation photographer. <laughs> um, and and I think one has to admit that this is not the case when you are doing just beautiful work and I'm just doing work that is very important to me I'm um, really uh, my, 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 my biggest uh, um, like uh, my, my aim when I'm photographing is never um, to, to change the world it's to touch people and if I touch people and this produces something then it's okay um, I I think I won't I, I wouldn't say that I'm completely non-political because I am. I'm caring for a lot of uh, things that happen in nature and um, really the loss of habitats and especially uh, the, the di diversity um, of, of, of animals on our planet. Um, and I'm, I'm like, I can help these issues as a magazine editor, for example, because I can uh, highlight these stories and highlight these people. Uh, but I think anyway that we are playing much I mean, like too much in our own community. Uh, this is always when we have our festival. It's like people like that are already uh, convert converted <laughs> are 
like praying to people that are converted already. Um, so in a way, we need to reach other people. And this is what uh, photographers against wildlife crime or John MacArthur or um, um, other people have done uh, in the past. These are, for me, really people that move something with their photography. Um, but we do um, like small regional projects with our GDT groups uh, where we educate normal people in presentations um, and we do have next to the nice and beautiful and informational picture we do have some critical voices and we do do some uh, footage of uh, critical uh, stuff um, um, but it's not the core of my work and um, I think one really shouldn't feel threatened if it's not uh, because it comes either natural because you are really having an aim and you really want to do something about a topic or you won't. And I think that all this artificial um, um, claiming of, of doing something for it, uh, it really serves as, a, as, a, as an excuse. And honestly, when you see this corona and um, we touched briefly about this regional work that many people had to focus now on, um, on, on, on being thrown back into their local environments and maybe rediscovering their local environments and seeing that there is something waiting for them that they didn't expect because they used to be traveling all the time. Um, and you see, it's much more sustainable um, to focus on small stories in your own backyard, uh, not only because you know the light better and you know the region better and you, you can develop something from there, but because there are stories to be told from your local environment as well. And if everybody does that uh, with photographers worldwide, then everything is covered anyway. <laughs> and then there's no ex excuse for a carbon footprint and um, a, a, a enormous traveling with an airplane. Um, yeah, that's right. I mean, it would be fun, but I don't really have a great desire to go and photograph polar bears in the Arctic or tigers in India, there are much people better placed to do that and have been doing it and would do a better job than I could even imagine. So in terms of taking pictures of foxes, you know, they're just around the corner from my house. And I think you're right, you know, photographing locally, my feeling is, and my mission really is, how do we get people to care about elephants, tigers, polar bears? if they don't care about animals that are on their doorstep. You know, and the amount of times that I've shown people my work and, you know, they're surprised the the amount of amazing encounters that I've seen. And this stuff is happening under people's noses on their doorsteps week in, week out. And these are the important stories to tell, to get people connected, to get people enthused locally. Yeah, and I mean, of course, I mean, like, let the Indian photographers photograph their animals in, in India, you know, and, and invite them to publish in your magazines. I mean, like, why do we need a European photographer covering uh, the elephants or the tigers? Um, you know, I mean, like, honestly, I, I, I can understand that there's an, there's an, like, uh, a joy in, in seeing these places. I can completely understand. And we all have Fernweh and we all um, uh, sometimes love to travel and see other places. But I think really, we honestly should ask ourselves if we should start um, uh, treating this uh, uh, whole travel photography business a little bit different and uh, concentrating more on involving local photographers from all over the world in our media and representation uh, and not not only us <laughs> as the only ones who are capable of photographing uh, uh, these animals and um, I think 
we have to find other ways to to uh, enjoy nature without traveling too much. And I couldn't agree more. And it's brilliant advice. And on advice, um, I get a lot of messages from people talking about how do you make a living from being a nature photographer? How do you become professional? You know, particularly now, it's a, a really tough time. What would be your advice? to a young person or someone want, who wants to transition from a career, and not necessarily a photographer, it could be a presenter or somebody wanting to get into to, to nature as a communicator or videographer, where do they start and how do they go about getting recognition and really making a go of it? I think I, I think the first most important thing is passion. And uh, if you are passionate about something, then a success will come. Uh, I mean, it's easy to say. I'm I'm receiving a lot of questions uh, of people who are telling me or asking me, how do I make it? You know, how it's possible? And uh, I'm sure you have interviewed so many people and everybody has a different way of doing it. Um, I would say most important is passion, then diversify, because uh, you will never be able to um, live on one um, one idea, <laughs> but uh, uh, really having um, multiple uh, uh, different kind of little income uh, uh, sorts uh, from photography is very important. And um, what what helped me is uh, uh, we haven't covered this, but collaboration with other photographers and with associations. Um, I've been all my life working uh, voluntary and uh, through my voluntary work, there have been chances of meeting people and um, uh, joining projects. Uh, so if you are a loner, uh, you will probably be able to do something if you are really good in something and if you do the real and good marketing and if you, somebody recognizes you. But it's so yeah, much more easier, I think, if you are in a group of people and get to know people, start to network and um, find the right people maybe to collaborate on projects where you are not able to handle all the aspects by yourself and um, and then going step by step. But the most important thing is if you are not passionate and if you have no inspiration, then you can do whatever you want. <laughs> and you won't be successful. <laughs> Thank you so much, Sandra. I know we talked about you have some new book ideas, but do you have a, I don't know, a 10-year plan or what can we expect in, in the coming years? Oh, I, I see a business question. No, <laughs> we have no 10-year plan, uh, but I'm, I'm really, as I said, I want to focus on, on, on books and, and uh, exhibitions. And, um, and uh, I, I will definitely come up with something in, over the next years, uh, maybe already this year if I'm managing and not only exploring my time in the garden. Um, <laughs> but I'm, I'm definitely on, on to uh, uh, um, several projects at once. And, uh, you know, whatever comes, I mean, like my... my long time plan was always to have a gallery here in, in my local surrounding, uh, to have a gallery in the garden and um, to really uh, focus on people enjoying the local um, beauty. And, um, and maybe, maybe this will happen someday, but uh, we'll see. Well, that sounds like a brilliant dream to have. And I'll definitely visit. I'll come and visit your gallery in the garden. So let me know. Yes. <laughs> you get a coffee for sure. <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait. Thank you so much again. 
we'll put everything, all the links to your work, and we'll of course direct people to Lus if they're lucky enough to get one of the remaining 500 copies. And yeah, I can't wait to see more of your work in the future. And there's loads more we can talk about. So we'll have to get you back on. And thanks so much again. Sure. Thank you again. It was very pleasurable to talk to you. Thanks so much to Sandra for her time and for giving such a fascinating insight into her philosophy and working practices. We continued the conversation off air for a short while and in many ways I wish we'd carried on recording. This was funny because Sandra mentioned my interviews are too short for the long car journeys that she embarks on. So next time we're ever on, we'll do a three hour epic special. What do you think? In the meantime, you can find out more about her on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram where she's pretty active, uh, all the links for this are on her page on the podcast section of my website so if you don't follow it already I really suggest you do so now um, there are also some great interviews um, just google her name that's what I did for a lot of the research for this interview um, both written and on YouTube um, so yeah head over there to find out more about her there too so as we slowly come out of lockdown I should let you know about new workshops I'm running on Hampstead Heath. Um, good time to get back out and get involved with nature and with a camera. Head to the workshop section of my website. We have availability throughout autumn and winter, which of course is such a great time for photographing the stunning colors on the heath. I also have new additions to my shop. Firstly, A5 prints. I've opened up a whole new section of smaller prints which can make a lovely and affordable gift. So to find out more about that, you can head over to my shop. It's matthewmoranshop.com and you'll find them in the open print section. I'm also offering online mentoring and portfolio reviews for those interested in taking their photography to a new level. And this could mean preparing an edit for a picture library, producing a book, however big or small, or creating a portfolio set of prints um, again. Have a look at my shop for more information about that and get in touch if you have any questions. Thanks again for listening. Stay tuned for the next episode coming in August. All the best. Mm-hmm.